I'm Megan Armstrong, and this is the Six Feet Above podcast. Six Feet Above was created when I started to share my story of spending 16 years wanting to be six feet under to now living a life full and happy six feet above. The more I started to talk about it, my struggles, my past, the more I realized that people were genuinely interested and not judgmental at all, which is what I feared for so long. And in fact, other people wanted to talk about their story as well, and for some reason trusted me to do so. So the Six Feet Above podcast is my way of helping to share other people's stories, finding out what works for them to create a life of happiness. Before we start this episode, I wanted to let you know that it has some explicit language and some very serious subject matter. It may be triggering or sensitive to certain people. Please listen with discretion. This is Lillian's story. Okay, so... (laughs) I don't even know, like, how to introduce you because you can't be... You can't be tamed. I am with Lillian Charles today, and I've known her for six years. And every time I see her, it's like meeting her for the first time. That's how I would describe it. Why are you making me cry already? (laughs) Because you're just like you're an exciting human being and you have this like energy about you um, that I want to be around. And um, so Lillian and I met uh, six years ago when I first moved to Atlanta. She was taking Um, you know, we're spinning together and from there, our lives just kind of aligned and, you know, yeah, they kept gliding and, and Lillian describes herself as a style therapist, which I think is brilliant because, um, you're not a personal shopper. You're not, uh, just a stylist. Like you envelope women with clothing to feel confident about themselves. Mm-hmm. At least that's how I see it from the outside. Yeah. And I, you found a love, a passion for, you know, um, fashion, but you found a way of how to give that passion to other people mm-hmm. and other women and to empower them. And you're not an overnight success. <laughs> I can't believe it's almost been nine years. That's amazing. Like, holy shit. So what's your background? I mean, did you grow up? in the fashion world, just loving clothes or? Uh, yes. My mom, how, how far back do you want me to go? Like, like age we're, three? We're going, yeah, we're going yeah, all way, the back. way back. Yeah. I want to know, you know, the whole point of this stuff is why are you the way you are right now? Yeah. How are you so living life full and happy? And we have to understand what you went through to yeah. get there. Um, so all of my, all of my, I call her tiny lils. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of my tiny lils picks. Um, I have lipstick on when I was like three or four. I remember getting in trouble when I was like eight for stealing my mom's Christian Dior lipstick no and taking way. it to choir. <laughs> and my mom was like, I've been looking everywhere for this lipstick. And I'm like, I don't know where it is. And I'm like literally Lip- wearing bright red <laughs> lipstick. I remember, I mean, that was like my jam was like, I just wanted to be fully expressed from a very young age. Um, I write about this a lot and I I have these very interesting visions and flashbacks of, um, do you remember those? I mean, like some people still have them like in their living rooms. I noticed you have one in your bedroom, like the shag kind of carpets. My parents had one in their bathroom. And I, when I was from like probably my first memories, I was laying on those shag carpets, 
um, watching my mom get ready, like watching her, like put in her, awe? just like in total, I was mystified by huh. my mom. And then my grandmother too, um, her mother. And um, watching her like put her jewelry on and my mom's like, you used to change your clothes like three or four times a day. <laughs> like, and I was always on the move. And so she would say like, oh, I dressed you and your sister so that, you know, you weren't these little girls in in um, ankle length dresses. Like I put you in things that you could always move in. So even on the front page of my website, it says like, I dress women that are capable of take on the world and they're ready for anything. And I think that that literally started when I was little, like being totally mystified and in love with this process of self-expression, of getting ready, of taking care of yourself. I was never good at hair. That's why I have such short (laughs) hair. (laughs) I don't think my mom was ever good at hair. Like we have stick straight hair. So it was like, you know, like nine years ago, I was like, well, I don't know what to do with this. I'm going to cut it all off. There you go. Yeah. But I just fell in love with the art of self-expression. And you and I have talked about like acting and that kind of thing. Um, I had so much energy when I was little. So now you can look back and it's, that was a positive thing. What, what we're about to go into, like, this is how you developed. Whereas when it was happening and you were that young, it was a very negative experience because you had all this energy and you were diagnosed with, um, yeah. When I was in third grade, my parents still live in the house where I grew up. So it's not like we were moving across the country. When I was in third grade, I went to three different schools in one year And I think my parents were really like, okay, so like my older sister could read chapter books when she was five. I didn't start reading till I was like seven or eight. It just like, I didn't click for me. I wasn't dyslexic. I just, I probably just couldn't sit still long enough to (laughs) to focus. So I was in three different schools. Um, It wasn't until, it was probably second grade that my parents were like, okay, like I think a second grade teacher told my parents like she needs to be on the stage like in plays like she needs to Mm. be able to be like loud and like be accepted for it and praised for it and just like be out there so I played sports but then I was very heavy into acting and local theater productions and then in church stuff um and my parents continued to kind of be like okay like now what do we do with you in this like safe container right um then I ended up going to like two different schools for middle school transferred for high school really moved around a lot. And I remember my mom always saying like, all you need to be is yourself. So why were they moving you from school to school? So Myrtle Beach is pretty small. Okay. Um, We didn't have, like we had one private school up to, two private schools up to eighth grade. One was Catholic, which we are not. So I was not allowed there. Um, <laughs> And so I, I mean, really education. Yeah. And I tell people all the time, Knowledge about yourself is just as important about knowledge about the world. Yeah. So my parents really, I got that from them. Yeah. Like they instilled in us that our education was so important. So they moved us for that or moved me for that reason. Uh-huh. But also um, put us in therapy when we were little. Yeah. Like when I was eight, diagnosed with ADHD and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, started, At eight you were diagnosed with mm-hmm. anxiety? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think I was so hyper that I just was like, pretty revved up yeah um I washed my hands a lot really to the point where they were like raw when I was little my mom was like okay you have to sleep in these gloves like this isn't just eczema like girl you got to stop washing your hands they are dried out (laughs) yeah that is like um you know it's it's crazy to think that 
as kids, you know, they go through the same stuff that adults go through. 100%. In a very different capacity. And like that is a huge platform for me and something I've been talking about is like, listen, your emotions develop at a very young age. Totally. And, and whether you're picked last on the, you know, on the playground or someone steals your stuffed animal or you're bullied when you're, you know, five or six years old, like these emotions that happen as kids, yeah. we feel them as adults too. Yeah. So how do we teach and how do we help kids handle those emotions versus just being like, okay, you're ADHD, here's here's a medication, here's a pill, go yeah. on your merry way. Like, eh, that's probably not going to fix anybody. Right. So like really understanding that kids have the same exact emotions that we totally. do. And hey, guess what? When you're eight years old and you're dealing with that anxiety, like you're probably going to deal with that later on in life at some point. But if you learn how to handle it yeah. and create that habit, yeah. you know, then it's like understanding yourself as a human being so that when things get thrown your way, when you're 30, 40, 50 <laughs> years old, you know how to handle 18, it. 18, 21, right. 25. Yeah. Right. So how... You know, being diagnosed with that at eight, I don't know if you remember when it happened, but did it make you feel like there was something wrong with you or you just... You know, no, I have... A, a, again, my parents are like, they're goldmine. Yeah. Like, I am so lucky, blessed, fortunate to Same. be in this, in this universe at this time with these parents. Like, my soul is just really happy to yeah. be with them. Like they are like my partners for life. I know yeah. you feel similar Same. to your parents. Yeah. Um, but my dad is an MD. Mm -hmm. And so in the nineties, um, like everyone was like kind of just doing the pill thing yep. right off the, right off the bat. Yep. Um, I was thankful that my parents were also doing the therapy thing yeah. instead of just the pills. Yep. And then, um, really my dad was like, so ahead of his time. I went to last night, the big quiet, which is a mass meditation. Okay. Uh, my dad was like going to meditation stuff early nineties when I was like four five, mm -hmm. started practicing yoga. My parents were doing yoga in college in the seventies. Um, <clears throat> my dad started a, a business, um, outside of working in the ER called living well, mm -hmm. it was about stress management and meditation and like slowing down even though he was in the er go 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 right, go he, right. know, he knew that he needed something slower too and didn't your dad struggle with with some yeah so my yeah and... so my dad's side of the family particularly has yeah. got some yeah some depression issues yeah um i would say more so than anxiety you know some okay. people are just so high strung it's right. just like it's it's anxiety right um definitely my dad's side struggles so i think my i think my parents were preemptive about making sure that we were on something to um, to balance us out. Mm -hmm. What I know about energy work now is that I think that I can I can almost read depression in people's auras. Mm. You know, I actually just posted about this on Instagram that I love words are great. But I love to read people's wardrobes and I love to read people's energy because both can tell you this whole story uh -huh. that words actually um, don't come as easily for some people, whether yeah. they're writing them or speaking them. But I can look at someone and somehow read a story there yeah. and everyone has one. Uh -huh. So even though you can't do it on a blood type <laughs> test, <laughs> you can really experience someone's aura and energy and... Um, 
do you mind if I talk about you for a second? Yeah, no, gosh. I think that there are, I think that there have been times in the past yes. six years where I've been with you and thought Megan's trapped. Yeah. You know, and that wasn't from anything that you told me. It was from like this, I got to do this. Not because I'm like wanting to. Right. And that can come off whether you know someone's story or not. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny that you say that because I feel very similar about people when I meet them and first start talking, like, I feel like they might be going through something or, you know, they'll give me a little hint towards a relationship with their husband or their, you know, uh, I had a conversation a couple of days ago with a girl who reached out to me about two years ago. She moved into town and, um, she was new here and, and didn't really know anyone and, and. One of my mentors years ago knew her and, and sent her my way. It's like, just go meet this girl, Megan. She's in the fitness industry as well. She's, you know, a great asset. Um, and this is we, two years ago. This is two years ago. Yeah. And we've kept in touch and we'll go grab coffee. And I, this past time, I go, is there something going on with like you and your fiance? And she's like, yeah, he is going through a very difficult time. Yeah. And so we started, you know, we start talking about how to handle and how to deal with someone going through that because mm. unless you've been through it yourself, it is very hard to relate to another human being that is struggling. Yeah, I have so many thoughts about that. Um, I think, you know, I think my mom, um, that was kind of my experience growing up, Yeah, um, was seeing my mom kind of stonewall like, pull the family forward. Um, my dad worked all the time, but my dad did struggle a lot. I think a lot of that had to do with sleep. Okay. Um, just being an ER doctor, like right. being sleep deprived. Um, you know, you and I talk about nutrition a lot right. and how our gut affects our minds. And I think my dad was eating a lot of sugar mm. to stay awake, to stay energized, to be in the ER and then would kind of crash and sleep and, then be kind of irritable or, you know, just like not have the energy to do the things that, you know, he wanted to do. And right. so my mom really pulled everybody forward. Um, but looking back, you know, I see that my mom had a whole relationship with my dad that was management, right? Yeah. Like her self-care management, also caring for him, also caring for us, trying to protect everyone. Um, from like irritability and depression and, you know, right. like I see that now as, um, a as a big part of my childhood. Yeah. And I also saw myself, my, um, I've been single for a, a good bit of time, but, um, was in a very serious relationship in my early twenties with a medical student who I saw have extreme anxiety and depression. And mm. I was like, even though I was very young, we lived together. And I s remember my soul saying to me, you know what this looks like. Mm -hmm. You know what this looks like over 20 years, over 40 years. You know what this looks like and what this what this will require. Yeah. And although my dad is in such an amazing place, I also knew that I had a choice. And I don't think that many people, men or women, understand that they don't have to repeat the patterns of their parents. I believe there's extreme importance, strength, wealth of um, honoring your life mm -hmm. in a way that you show up to a similar situation and that you both decide in that relationship to rewire the right. narrative and to do it differently. But 
I could not go into that situation with this person and say, we're going to do this differently than my parents did this. Because right. um, they don't get it. Because that that's not where they are. Right. And so it's a beautiful, wonderful, healing as fuck thing when both of those people decide that they want to do something differently. Yeah. You can't pull that you, other person. You can't. It's it's like a you know an alcoholic. Like absolutely, yes, we can do an intervention. We can literally force them into rehab. But yeah. at the end of the day, they have to be the one that says, "I don't want to live this way anymore." Yeah. And it wasn't until I looked in the mirror and was like, "It's no one else's fault." I can't keep. Blaming. It's also not your fault. Yeah, it's not my fault. But it would have been my fault if I didn't change moving forward. It's your responsibility. It's responsibility. And my first story, it's like. You are responsible for your own life. And it is very difficult to understand that. And when you are depressed and someone says that to you, it makes it even worse. Yeah. Because then you feel bad about feeling bad yeah. about yourself. Yeah. You're like, thanks for pointing out that I'm this fucked up. Right. And I think that that's why mm, I'm going to make a gender specific comment. But yeah. I think that's why a lot of men do not want to go to therapy. They, I think it's an, there's an ego there 100%. that. They're like, I cannot be told that I'm broken because I already feel so broken and right. I don't want anyone to hammer that home. Right. Whereas women are already targeted as, hey, you're broken. You need to fix this, 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 this about yourself. Right. I never want um, people to come to me for style therapy and be like, I'm so fucked up. I want them to say, like, I know there are things that I need to shed right. about this way that I feel about myself um, about the way I carry myself, but it's never, it's never a you're fucked up thing. Yeah. You know, it's a, I feel responsible for my, the way I'm vibrating. I know that I can do better. Mm -hmm. I know that I can live more fully and I'm ready to step into that. And you have to take the steps to do that. It does not happen overnight. Yeah. I mean, it literally took me, this is, it's just 20 years of my life that sure. And, and yeah, I feel and it's such a different place now than I did 20 years ago when this all started happening. But it it is on my mind every day. Yeah. And the things that I do to make sure I don't go back to that place, yeah. you know, is important for me to keep practicing. Yeah. Um, I also want to mention, I know we're just like looping yeah. around and I love it. Um, the medicine piece, I think, you know, I, I actually, when people are going through a hard time, I ask them if they've considered medication mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, I don't want to do it. You know, sometimes I say, okay, well then if you're not ready, then don't do it. Right. Um, here are some other practices to put into place. I think that sometimes um, if we've experienced trauma, it's almost like a, it's a must because you have to regulate what's going on in your body chemically. Yep. And if you haven't experienced trauma, you know, that's also like the diabetic thing. Like sometimes you have to regulate those chemicals. Right. I think I've told you that I've been coming down off of the amount of yes. depression medication yes. that I've been on. Um, and that's, it's interesting that the person that really decided that it would be okay for me to be on medicine, my dad, when I was little, when I was 26, so I'm not going to math however many years later that was, <laughs> he was like, Lillian, I found you a therapist. Um, that will teach you mindfulness practices. And I was like, I'm not going to go sit somewhere. Not not in therapy. I'm not going to go sit somewhere by myself and think that I'm going to feel better. Right. And that was five, five years ago, five and a half years ago. And now I'm like, I'm coming off my medication. I'm sitting with my thoughts. Mm -hmm. I'm not attaching myself to them. So all of this to say medicine is great. Um, meditation is possibly greater. Um, 
And I, I believe that there is a holistic approach to everything that we come across Absolutely. in life. And, and I think, you know, talking back to the, the medication and the antidepressants and anxiety, like I needed those for so many years. Yeah. But once I did work on myself, I realized I was in such a better place that I want to go off of them because I don't want to necessarily be dependent on them, but it's not a bad thing if you are, if that's an, I think I was on them for 16, 17 years. Like totally. it, it's, it's what I needed to get me through that stage. Like I didn't go off the deep end. I'm pretty sure because I was on something. When I was going through the worst of my time, it was so frustrating because I couldn't find, we couldn't find a medication that worked for me. And it was like, well, you got to give it a month. Okay, so we give it a month. Well, this dose didn't work or this one You're made like, me well, gain a ton of weight. Meanwhile, I've destroyed every relationship in my life. Right, right. <laughs> I'm crying at, you know, soccer practice. Yes. I'm gonna, yeah, you're just. I, I broke into my boyfriend's apartment and yeah. took back every, I'm like, that's yeah. not me. Yeah, totally. It was because I was dealing with something different and was put on this medication and it is a it's trial like and error. pressure in your brain that yeah. just fucks with you. It's trial and error. So I just want anyone out there going through that to know that that is so normal. And yeah, it sucks to like try this medication and then another one and then a different dose, but stick with it because something will work and it will be worth it. Hey guys, Megan here jumping in. I wanted to let you know that for the next 15 minutes of this episode, Lillian and I discuss a sexual assault. My goal with this podcast is to keep things very real. And unfortunately, life can get ugly. So feel free to skip ahead if this is a sensitive subject for you. What, what I really want to do is, you know, just talk about it because... I was talking to a friend the other day about this. Robin Williams, you know, he, he commits suicide and it's like, everyone talks about it for a week. Like, we, this is something we need to talk about. And then it goes away. It's like, no, I, let's let's actually keep the conversation, the conversation going yeah. and let people know that like, it is not an overnight fix. That happiness is not a choice. It is a habit and it is really hard to break old habits. Yeah. So how do we do that? How does everyone that I meet, what are they doing in their life that works for them? Yeah. And what is, you know, some of the, the worst parts of your past that you had to go through and actually take responsibility yeah. for yeah. to make sure that you don't go back to that person. Yeah. If that's, you know, if you're ready, if yeah. you're ready to make that change. So we're going to get real serious. Let's do it. Um, I know that you were sexually assaulted. Yeah. And I have never been. So that is something for me that I can't quite comprehend. So how... So what the fuck yeah, is what so, you're about to say? Yeah, so I'm like, so how are you the way you are today? Yeah. And, and and so confident and happy and, and strong knowing that you went through something so detrimental at one point. And how old were you? Uh, I was 19. It was my freshman year in college. It was like 10 years ago, a little yeah, over that. Okay. Yeah, a little over that, yeah. Um, and I want to go back to the confident, strong, happy. Yeah. Um, I am very good at that on the outside there are certainly places in my life where i'm very triggered and i am not that way um i would like to say that how you do anything is how you do everything mm -hmm. and I, I think that there is so much truth in that yeah. but the way that i show up in romantic relationships 
it needs work still. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I want to be though, very yeah. transparent and candid about that. Um, that's something that definitely, you know, still needs love, attention. And um, I think that we all experience things very differently, mm-hmm. like in this lifetime that we have. Some people experience it financially. Some people experience their traumas. Um, you know, we all experience emotion differently. Yes. Yeah. Um, I know in my this life i experienced things physically so anytime that i had pain growing up mm-hmm. i it was also i was anxious or i was depressed or i was you know emotionally bummed out hurt i something would show up in my body where i got i got more sick mm-hmm. than my um, either of my siblings you know i had colds more i had just was just more sick yeah. more often and so it's really interesting that one of my thorns happened to me physically. Mm. And if, if you look at the energetic body, your left side is your feminine side. It's the side of my body that I've experienced the most pain with because really? it was assaulted. Oh yeah, my left side has has experienced a lot of, it's where I have to get dry needled, it's where I have to get, yeah. It's, it's also where you just got hit by another car. Yeah. Right? I mean, as soon as I was hit, I was like, of course I was hit on my left side. Right before exams, my freshman, um, first semester of my freshman year, um, I I mentioned my mom a lot. She's like, she's my best friend yeah. um, other than the next woman that I met that changed my life at Agnes Scott once I fucking transferred. I called my mom like maybe two days after the incident and... I was driving like 110 miles an hour through Spartanburg, South Carolina. Like, I'm just going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so... Really? Yeah. I was just... I was a basket case. My mom got in her car in Myrtle Beach, drove up four and a half hours. For the next year, I did shit like that. I would call my mom or my dad and scream at them like, you don't love me. You don't, I mean, I just, that was a big thing was like, you don't love me. You don't love me. I was angry. I was so ashamed. I was so like, I mean, I think for a while, thank God my dad is an MD. I think he was just running through every, through every list of like, what could be wrong with this girl? Like she's having a psychotic break. Did he know about the incident? No. Okay. So literally one year to the date, um, I was studying for exams. My first semester of my sophomore year, I blew my left knee out mm. and was like, could, was practically immobile. At that same time, this is about to get graphic, um, I had been bleeding 17 days out of the month oh. for my period. So I was, my body was just in shock and trauma. I would go to rush meetings or sorority meetings and I would just, I mean, my body was like uncontrollable. I was working out so much. I was down 20 pounds from where I am now. I was like 112 and I'm 5'7". My body was just like, you cannot do this anymore. You cannot do this anymore. You cannot do this anymore. And I'm a fucking fighter. And I was like, this is a school with a thousand people in it. I'm going to see you every day. I'm going to live my best life. Like, but I was not, I was living my worst life. Um, so you were still at the same school. I was still at the same school. I didn't, had not dropped out. I had not told my parents. Okay. And then I got, ended up getting an IUD to regulate my period because I was just like, just this trauma situation. Um, and I had some painkillers because the first time sucks. Um, and my mom had consulted, um, like an energy healer psychic that she'd used for a long time. And Mm -hmm. this woman said, um, you know, you 
this your daughter's just been raped that's what happened you know like not just been but right. like like that's the issue my mom walked into my room and said did something did someone do something to you like did, and I just was like please don't stop loving me you know just so much shame oh and so yeah so um that's how it all came out my parents were like you're not going back to that school you better believe I packed my bags, went right back there my sophomore Ugh, spring semester. Because you were going to show him. I was like, I'm not giving up. Right. I'm a fighter. Ended up getting mono. I was so sick. I was so anxious. I had panic attacks. Was taking Xanax. Was taking Adderall in the morning. Xanax to chill out. Like, shit to go to sleep. I mean, I was just... And finally, my body was like, bitch, you are done. Yeah. Go yeah. home. <laughs> Did you get to a point when you your brain finally agreed with your body? When you were finally like... Yes. When I got tested positive for mono, yeah. I was like, you got it, boo. Yeah. Like, like, I'm out. Done. Yeah. My dad and my brother um, came and picked me up and like drove my car home. Um, and then I got tested for mono. And then I don't know if my brother went back or just my dad, but they went back and they, they packed up my dorm room for me. I never stepped foot on that campus Literally none of the girls that I was like quote unquote friends with except for one really reached out. Right. Like actually there were a few, but they weren't in my sorority. <laughs> <laughs> they were which like I am the most anti sorority yeah. person you've ever met. Um, for so many reasons. But I think it's it's interesting because you are such a fighter, but if your body is physically going through something, at some point your mind has to catch up. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's kind of what happened to me too, not in the physical sense, but it wasn't until I actually admitted to myself and said, you are fucked up. You are depressed. Um, instead of like being angry about it and blaming it on everybody else. Totally. Once once I could admit it in my own brain, then things started to change. Totally. And when, when it came to guys like at Wofford, like I never slept with another guy there. I was so like, traumatized Mm -hmm. but I was very angry with men very angry I remember this poor guy he was like a nice guy I threw like it was winter and we you know when you're in college you're like drinking out in public you drink out of anything I had like a canteen of some sort (laughs) like some kind of thermos and I threw it at him oh my god I mean I was just I had so much anger yeah so much anger yeah Let's see. Blue. Rewind. Um, sorority things. When okay, so your body, you finally, you finally admitted. Yeah, my body's breaking down. Yeah. I can't fight this. Um, I, I need to. Yeah, you focus on your strength. So you start strength training with a personal trainer. No, that wasn't until I got to Atlanta. Uh, oh, I was in Atlanta at that point. No, I just started going to like. The YMCA indicator, and instead of being like, oh, I just need to do cardio all the time. It was like. I want to do um, kickboxing. I want to do dance. I got really into this dance called Nia, which I'm actually certified to teach. Um, yeah, I did that this January. Okay. It took me 10 years. And then finally something, that's like a whole nother thing. But I was doing Nia. I was doing kickboxing. And I was doing boot camps that had a lot of weight training. Okay. Interestingly enough, I would try to go to spin classes. And I would have so much anxiety that I would like you know, be short of breath, like have to leave. Uh, I think the first four spin classes I went to, I left before they were done. I'm not kidding. 
And now I am a spin instructor, yeah. you guys, since 2014. So um, it's amazing what the mind will get you through once you're like, nah, nah. Yeah. Stay here. You got to do this. Yeah. So it's. I think once you stop fighting and actually admitting and just accepting. And I was talking to my friend Sheldon about this too. It's like. Shout out to Sheldon Sheldon. Beers. Hey, hey, hey. Oh my God. I took a soul cycle class at Ponce. It was so good. So good. Um, I'm so happy. But the thing is like, it's not about fixing you. It's about understanding you as a human being. Totally. And doing the work to understand yourself so that you can do the work to change yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, But before that becomes, before all of that can happen, it's admitting to yourself. You got to look at your shit and decide to shift. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't look at you and be like, I see that you're struggling. I want to help you. And I'm going to do all of this for you. It's like me as a personal trainer right now. You know, I'm working with a girl that's like making excuses and not showing up. I'm like, listen, I can't want it more than you want it. I hear that so much with personal trainers. And I I, I also see that with with my work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I used to, like I said, I've, it's, I'm going on nine years um, as a personal stylist. And I used to... Someone would reach out and, you know, say, I'm interested. I'd send them my packages or my package of like what to do. And then I would reach out to them like, you know, two, three more times. Hi, like, let me know when you want to schedule. And then about four or five years into working in this field, I was like, you know, what's never going to happen? Me pushing or pulling someone into their readiness um, and so now, I mean, I have people that emailed me two years ago that now are some of my best clients, but it took them two years to come around and they were not ready for them. And they'll always say, I'm so sorry I didn't get back. And I'm like, please don't be yeah. sorry. Yeah. Please accept that you had to go through your two year journey or 18 months or a year yep. or three years. And great. To get to where you are yeah, now. Yeah, to get to where yeah. you are. And then there are other people that, you know, like you said, you had an intuition about someone's relationship not going well. And um, I have that too. You know, when I don't hear from some of my best people, even for a certain amount of time, I'll know something is up. I had someone leave me a very long voicemail the other day um, about her current situation. And I just voice memoed her back and was like, I hear you. Yeah, I see you. I had a feeling this was happening, even though you'd never mentioned any... Right. part of this right and then i ended it and then i sent it and i was like i also think that you need to remember to eat because mm. some people eat way too much when they are in trauma and some people shut down yeah and um i'm one of those people that just is like i don't have the energy to put food in my body when right. i'm really 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 sad and i see myself get skinnier and skinnier and then i'm like okay this is you know that awareness yeah. like this is even subconscious yes. sabotage. Yes. And I see that, you know, I, I think as we get older and wiser and do more work on ourselves, we start, the subconscious just gets a little bit closer to the conscious when we do the work. Yep. And um, so now I know all my sabotage <laughs> techniques and I'm like, whoa, girl, we got to keep those in the trunk. <laughs> I think it's important too. Like it, it really never goes away. Like what you've dealt with as a child or, you know, a teenager or whatever, like yeah. it's always there. Like that's who you are. That is your makeup. 
Yeah. You know, what you went through and how you deal with emotions, that is who we are as beings. But once you understand yourself, you can kind of, oh, red flag here. I know, like for me right now, like I'm kind of going down that path, like, you know, leaving a job that that I loved and the old me would not get out of bed. I would fall into to that depression. But now I understand myself and I know what I need to do. I know the people that I need to surround myself with. And I know the steps to take to make sure I don't go down that path where I would say, you know, I would rather be dead than see tomorrow because it's just mm. too much. It's too much of a struggle and I can't handle it. Now I can handle it. I know how to do it. So many points on that. Um, in my family, we call it the, the dark cloud or the black cloud. Mm. And so there's the black cloud. And if you see it coming, you pull out your burnt toast list. So the black cloud is always combated by the burnt toast list. Yeah. If you feel like burnt toast, like here are your steps, here are the people to right. call, here's your support team. Um, I also uh, love to plug the book, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. Okay. Because some of the most positive people that you know have so much darkness. Yes. You know I mean, that we're equal parts, unfortunately. Um, there's, I have a lot of darkness, you know, and then I think that there, because I, I think so heavily in visuals, um, like I said, I was at the big quiet last night. Um, they do an incredible meditation, um, sequence that, um, you use your voice Mm -hmm. and you wrap energetically, um, whatever it is that you're struggling with. And I used myself, Mm -hmm. um, you wrap it with your voice, but the intention behind it is love. Mm. And that is something for me that is so powerful that even like I just started getting these hits after my car wreck. Lillian, you got in a car wreck and it doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. Right. Lillian, you fucked up with this conversation and it doesn't mean that you're not worth loving. Yeah. And it's just taking all of your conversations and saying like, you are still worth loving. Yeah whether you use that with your, you use your voice or you use your body or your writing and saying you are still worth this. Well, and, and putting it into perspective, like at the end of the day, like nothing is that big of a deal, you know, like I would say our health is our wealth, right? You know, and right. Shout out to health is wealth podcast. Yeah. Austin yeah. Cohen. Yeah. I think, you know what, when I got this voicemail from this woman about her relationship and then found out that her, her parents are both terminally ill. I wrote my mom back and I was like, car payment, no big fucking deal. Yeah. Not a big deal. Yeah. You it know, really, that, and that's like bring it on. I can make however much money I need to want to am available to open to my health. Right. I'm good. And that's, so when I was probably in my darkest of times, like I would have to say that to myself all the time. Like instead of getting angry about something so stupid that happened, I'm like, okay, I can get angry for a second. Like let the emotion happen, but then don't carry that into the next thing I'm doing that day or the next day or the next week. Like stopping that, you know, train that train literally yeah, stop totally. the negative train yeah um i tell people particularly with breakups and they're like i just can't stop crying first of all you can mm-hmm. i know that sounds horrible yeah but i was given this advice right in between uh when i was at wofford and when i was at agnes scott my parents made me go to therapy thank god they paid for it they're, yeah i mean the most blessed situation ever right i mean it's a very privileged situation they put me in therapy for so <laughs> God bless. Thank you guys so much for putting me in so much therapy. But he said, you know, if you need to cry for three hours today, 
scream it out, Do cry it. it out. But tomorrow you get two. And then you 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 start to put boundaries on your grief, boundaries on your negative self-talk. Yeah. You can, and I just cannot stress this enough, use whatever is best for you to get your grief, trauma, like if it's movement, move. If it's breath, breathe heavily. Yeah. If it's your voice, then scream. Because sometimes when we go and we just talk about it, it kind of reinforces it. Mm -hmm. And I tell people all the time, you know, if you are struggling with infertility, going to an infertility group and talking about how infertile you are or how single you are or whatever creates that. So go play on a playground. I know that sounds harsh and painful, but go raise your frequency to what you want. So I think you do a really good job of creating that space for other women and other people. Um, And the work that you do, like, yes, like looking at it as, okay, it's, it's clothes, it's fashion. Like it's so much more than that. So combining that work with what you do on a spin bike, um, I have retired from 6 a.m. classes until about two months ago when I started to go to Lillian 6 a.m. on Monday morning because I was like, first of all, your music's bomb. And second of all, (laughs) I taught for so many years that I appreciate a good spin instructor. But just being that person that people are drawn and attracted to um, is what the world freaking needs. We need these people that are doing this work. So I... I'm so grateful that you came on and that you shared your story and what you do um, to not only help yourself, but I think it's almost what you do for other women. Thank you. Is selfish in a certain way because for sure we do the work that heals us. We do the work that heals us. And I was just speaking to a um, a visionary over the weekend about that, and she said, "Do more of what your soul needs so that you can help more souls." And I was like, "Yeah." "Yeah." And because you know, there's still work to be done, and I don't. I use the word work because it's the word that I have to use, but it's a privilege yeah. to do this work. It's a privilege to do the work on myself and it's a privilege to share it with other people. So I appreciate you creating the space where we can all share the kinds of work that we are doing. Yeah. Um, and I just can't wait to see who else you bring on here because this is a powerful platform Thank for a powerful you. woman. I'm so excited. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Six Feet Above. I'm your host, Megan Armstrong. Subscribe so you never miss another episode and follow me on Instagram at Six Feet Above Podcast to keep the conversation going. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. This episode is a product of Audiographies, produced by Denor Sapolia, edited by Jacob Smolian, and the music was by Keenan Willis, funded by yours truly. I'll see you next time.